yes, he's a good bartender. Maybe he's a better secretary. <laughs> but he is all on post-it notes, and it is very disorganized. <laughs> I don't know if he's a good secretary and found his calling, but I do think he is very happy at what he's doing here. Welcome to Who's That Girl, a new girl podcast. I'm Kritika. And I'm Kelly. And we're long-distance best friends who bonded over our love of TV and brought you this podcast to recap one of our favorite shows, New Girl. Today we'll be discussing Season 4, Episode 5, Landline. This episode originally aired October 14th, 2014, and was written by Rob Russell, who last wrote for Season 3, Episode 23, Cruise, and was directed by Trent O'Donnell, who last directed Season 4, Episode 1, The Last Wedding. In this episode, the loft doesn't have good cell reception because of some construction nearby. Jess's answer to this is to get the loft a landline, which prompts Nick to act as a secretary and Jess to find out about coaches' relationships with their coworkers. I love that we know we're going to get a lot of Jess's school in this episode because the first person we see of the episode is Principal Foster on the phone calling Jess dog. Like, hello, dog, instead of yo, dog. Like, hey, what's up? But... <laughs> In his own Principal Foster way, I'm at least glad that they're in the know with each other and at least seem like they're getting along well in their role as principal and vice principal. But quickly we see that Jess has to run into Nick's room where Coach is, where Schmidt eventually joins because they don't have any cell reception. And you also end up seeing basically everyone in that room because his room is the only place with reception and all the different calls was just so interesting to hear. Coach is sitting here talking about sticks, whether they're red or blue. Schmidt's talking about a hat and scarves that he's trying to buy. Winston is talking to his mom about unplugging an electric guitar and how that won't electrocute you. And obviously we know Jess is having this conversation with her principal, but it's just a wide range of things that this loft is talking about. And poor Nick, the only person whose room has service, is not on the phone, just kind of waiting and trying to get everybody out of his room so he can live his life, which is how Jess gets really jazzed up, in her own words, and brings a landline back into the picture. And this whole loft is staring at this landline that gets this crazy, weird thing, but knowing their ages, they all grew up with landlines. So I don't understand why they're so confused about where they would put the pictures and like, what is that cord thing? It's like, you grew up with these. How do you not know what a landline is? Yeah, I would totally see like, maybe a teenager today in the 2020s being like, wait, what is this? How does this work? But I also am very perplexed that this was Jess's solution. Because to me, the logistics police, which I know that I am, I thought about not only do they have to go get a landline phone and plug it into the landline that is in the apartment, like hopefully their apartment has the ability to connect to a direct line of the phone, but they also then have to get that number or figure out what that number is going to be and give that phone number to everyone 
everyone. Like no one has that number today, but they go get that phone and suddenly everybody has that number. And honestly, that was the most perplexing thing about it. And then I'm like, and they're all using the same phone number. But then we see soon after they start getting the phone calls and Nick starts answering it. And I'm just like, well, wait, like Winston's given this to the girl he's sort of kind of seeing and Schmidt's giving this to the magazine he's going to have an interview with. And I'm just like, why would you have these important phone calls go to a landline that you're going to have just during this construction? Maybe the construction's there for a really long time, but like logistically, it just seemed complicated and that's the problem with landline. It would be unfeasible because you wouldn't be able to take the phone call anywhere but your home. So you would need at least an answering machine that they only get halfway through the episode if they didn't have someone like Nick. Yeah, I don't know what the plan there was because I understand that the situations in which they get calls from people like Judy and the magazine are maybe limited. Like Winston maybe isn't going to date Judy forever. The magazine is a one-time thing. I can understand from that perspective why they would give the number of the landline. But without an answering machine, you're 100% right that they wouldn't have even known someone had called. Like how were they planning on doing this unless they were really planning on Nick answering the phone, which is what he does because he just really misses his friends and when he starts to get the phone calls for the first time, he's a little annoyed. You can tell. He's like, oh, of course, we'll get a landline so Nick can answer it. So even he was kind of like, why am I the one answering phones? Why are you giving this phone number out? But once he realizes that he's going to get some information about his friends and not in a way that's about getting back at them or like getting gossipy, but in a way that's like he genuinely in this episode seems so down about not being with his friends and not getting time with them because Winston's busy studying for the LAPD exams and all the stuff that comes with being in the police academy. And Schmidt's over here just getting a lot of heat, as he puts it, from the sponge account. And that leading to him going down this path of like wanting to be a millionaire and being so busy at work, which we've seen that millionaire trend a couple times now in episode three with the sponge account, in episode four with the modeling. So maybe this will continue. But what it's all leading to is both of these men having no time for Nick. And it's also interesting that Nick's missing his friends and all this is limited to Schmidt and Winston. And Coach is not part of that dynamic because normally you'd expect all the guys to band together. But because Coach has a different storyline, it feels like he was almost forgotten about in this whole storyline you mean like forgotten about with Nick as being a friend that he missed yeah like does he get enough time with coach and that's why he doesn't miss him or is it just that out of sight out of mind like he was on a different storyline so the writers forgot to incorporate something about Nick and coach because for me it seems like Nick doesn't have enough with Schmidt and Winston but it also feels like Nick is lonely but if coach is around relatively around the same times because coach is in a school so he's out of school earlier like is he also not getting enough time with coach or is it just like kind of forgotten about because coach was taken care of by a different storyline well on one hand I think that coach was using the landline right because he was we find out about the nurse that he's dating or just does because she answers the phone and it's the nurse from the school and I want to say that because Coach's storyline also involved like the nurse or even the other teacher, as we found out, 
he probably didn't get phone calls in the daytime when Nick was home. So probably it's not, I don't know. I would like to think that it wasn't that he was forgotten about in the storyline. I think that it conveniently worked out that he didn't have to be getting phone calls in the day that then Nick had to loop him into a conference call too, basically to tell him he broke up with someone on his behalf. And also it probably would have been a little duplicative if the phone calls that Winston was getting was from a love interest and the phone calls that coach is getting is from a love interest. And it's kind of the same storyline, honestly, in a little bit when you look at the two, but it's just in different scenarios. So it's possible he could have got forgotten about, but I think it conveniently kind of worked out and I'm okay with it, honestly, because I think then the dynamic between like old school Schmidt, Winston and Nick got to be really fun, especially with the flashback that we saw of Nick and Winston, which those always come in at the randomest times. And you're like, you never know when you're going to get one of those, but they had their funny haircuts like they did from when they were losing their virginity with their dad in the hotel room. It was like the same time frame, if you will, as that much weirder flashback from season two. But we find out the phone used to be a thing for them, essentially. So yeah, to your point earlier, they did know what landlines were. Like, they shouldn't be so surprised. But maybe that's why Nick is thriving, because he is never that good with technology. And he gets these messages. He answers the phone. He takes these messages. And then when Schmidt and Winston do come in, he gives it to them alphabetized. That killed me. I was like, Nick is not only getting to hear about his friends' lives right now, he's also thriving. Like, he's found his calling. Yes, he's a good bartender. Maybe he's a better secretary. (laughs) But he is all on post-it notes, and it is very disorganized. (laughs) I don't know if he's a good secretary and found his calling, but I do think he is very happy at what he's doing here and the way that he gets to connect with his friends. The alphabetized messages killed me, to your point. I thought it was amazing that most people would take notes like that and do it chronologically. Like, here's the first call that came in for you. But no, it's alphabetized because that's how we think of things. But (laughs) it's just watching Jake Johnson play Nick in this episode was actually so sweet. And the way he made that joke about the spoiler (laughs) and then later coming back and talking about the spoiler alert, Schmidt got a quote for a spoiler. Like I felt like he was just so happy through this episode or at least this part of the episode. And Schmidt and Winston are obviously really cagey and they want their own privacy. And I totally get that. But Nick is so into it. And like even his notes around like, hey, if I cooked up a whole chicken, would you have some? It was just so sweet to watch him really try and connect with his friends. And I was really sad that Winston and Schmidt were really not into this whole thing. Although I do get it from the perspective of privacy, but also how were you going to find out about those things when you weren't home? Like to your point earlier, there was no answering machine before this. But also privacy goes out the window when you have a landline. Full stop. When everyone uses the same telephone, anyone can answer the phone and any call that you are receiving will be answered by someone that is not you, even if you're all home, because you could be on one side of the room and Winston could be on the other and Winston's going to answer that phone, not you. It's just what it is. So I don't think they should be as annoyed. I think they should be grateful and realizing, oh, we should go get an answering machine. But no, they're like, hey, Nick's alphabetizing these for us. It's great. But yeah. Quick thing about the spoiler, though, that Schmidt's wanting to get a quote of and just see what that's about. I'm like, wait, 
why would he get a spoiler if he has an SUV? Which I'm pretty sure from like way back, the last time we acknowledged Schmidt's car, it was an SUV. We may be slightly off on that, but I think it doesn't even make sense for him to have a spoiler. So maybe he wants to know, should he get a different car? Both Schmidt, this episode with that little comment, and also Winston with Judy just going to the golf driving range to watch. Like, who does that? What are you doing? I don't know. I'm not too surprised by Winston anymore, especially after last episode when he talked about if Jess was Big Bird, that would really send him over the roof. Like, he'd really be into her because of that. And I'm like, nothing will surprise me about you anymore, Winston. Like, sure, go to the golf range. Watch people. I mean... It's probably pretty meditative to just see people hitting balls one after another. Whatever floats your boat, Winston. No, it's a bit creepy. It's creepy to go to a golf course and just not be part of the golfing and also not go with someone that is golfing. Like It's not like he and Schmidt goes and he just watches. He's just going by himself. It's creepy. At least he didn't go to like a playground and be like, or a dog park and say, oh, I'm just going to watch the dogs. Like that to me feels creepy but like I don't know golf places you could go and like just have a beer at their bar or something I feel like if it's a country club yeah you could embrace that aspect but I don't think that Winston's going to country clubs really but who knows maybe he is (laughs) they make their peace with him giving these updates but they're a little weirded out by it until Nick calls to give them their midday updates the next day and this was the best because (laughs) First of all, he's giving updates to both of them, but he doesn't give them separately. Everybody has to be together because his whole goal is bringing everyone back together. So we learn that Schmidt dry cleans his socks. We learn that because Winston wasn't so sure about Judy, Nick just broke up with her for him. And that bitch a Leo. She's emotional. (laughs) (laughs) He went around and actually handled a photo for the magazine where they needed something of Schmidt. And of course he's like, don't worry, you're not going to be disappointed. I sent you the most recent picture I had because it has to be accurate. It's the most accurate picture and it's a blurry picture (laughs) and it's not a great picture. It is not what Schmidt would have chosen. You know that Schmidt just had binders of photos to go through and choose from and Nick did not even think about it. And we know that because... He literally just did that. They just did that whole fake modeling shoot and he spent hours looking at the ones of himself to decide. And I'm like, how did Schmidt not even have this figured out? And also you would have had to email the photo because at least that was digital. It wasn't like you were mailing in a hard copy photo. Why did they need to call to request the photo when you needed it over email? That seems like a flaw on the magazine. What is their process? What is going on? (laughs) How did Schmidt get this magazine, his landline, in such short notice? Like, hi, please use a different phone number for me. Oh, I won't be there to answer it. Sorry. It's bothering me. (laughs) A lot of faulty logic. But we'll let that go because don't worry, Nick's going to check back in five. And Schmidt's like, five minutes? Like, what do you mean by check back in five? How much could you possibly have? Because coming back to your point, where all did they give this landline to that there's enough messages? Like even my personal cell phone does not get this many calls in a day. How are they getting so many calls? I I don't know. And I don't 
maybe on Winston's part, I was like, maybe Winston gave Judy the landline on purpose because he's like, I want to have her go here only. Not that he wanted Nick to field it, but he almost maybe wanted something to just not happen because he was indecisive about it and whatnot. But Schmidt, I'm like, the spoiler quote, if you wanted that to be secretive, why why give it to the landline? Like, you don't need to call and answer that right away. Like, you don't need to be in the apartment, even if you were, to answer that and have that conversation. Schmidt could have thought about this a little bit more. But he did at least think that he wanted Winston or he needed to go talk to Winston immediately because they needed to have a new situation because they did not like Nick in their business the way that he was. But you have to also note that them buying the answering machine to get Nick out of it is still the exact same problem except amplified because you're not going to be the only one checking the messages. Everybody is sharing a landline. That means everybody's sharing messages. And that means anybody can listen to them at any time, which literally means you're now exposing it to not just Nick, but also Jess and Coach, who weren't a part of the storyline, but now will listen to the messages because that's what you did. It is so faulty. And I didn't think this when I was watching the episode, but once you pointed out the lack of privacy of this all... There is no solution in here that leads to any sort of privacy for them. I mean, two-factor authentication is just a wild pipe dream in this reality that is a landline (laughs) phone with a public-to-the-home answering machine. To know where we are today as far as privacy standards and what is required and where this is as far as a technological development is wild. I will say, too... Nick coming in, seeing that that's what's being used, and he knows he's being replaced by the technology, and he's all like, it's a new piece of technology. I'm like, oh no, Nick, this is not new. (laughs) Not even a little bit. You even already had cell phones. You had the flip phones. You had the like iPhones, and you had everything. This is not a new piece of technology. But he knows he's getting replaced and he knows the machines are going to take over and he knows this is all going to be bad and it's actually just the plot of the movie war games which is a movie from the 80s which also adds to the point that this is not a new technology you're 100 percent right it is nowhere near new because even afterwards when the answering machine fritzes out because schmidt listened to it too much for cc's extremely monotone message that schmidt thought was arousing That aside, the machine doesn't work, and Schmidt storms off saying, I'm going to return this to 1993 and get a new one. And you're like, okay, so you also recognize this is very old. This was not that old that you shouldn't understand how any of this works, but we will make our peace with that because the interview is today, and Nick is holding that over Schmidt. Even though he knows that it's that day, he doesn't tell Schmidt because he's being petty about being replaced, which I actually kind of agree with, although I don't think the interview is where you make that stand. Because even Winston calls out, this is really important to Schmidt. We need to tell him. They can't contact him, although that doesn't even make sense because they could have called him from the landline because the cell would have had service outside of the loft. Oh my God. They could have conferenced Schmidt in and let him do the interview because they have done conference calling previously. But it's fine. We knew it from the moment the flashback came up. It had to be Winston who impersonated Schmidt. And I have to say he's a natural Schmidt. All he needed was a soda, a straw, and to get horizontal. 
I'm dying of laughter over here because this problem was going to be so easily solved, like you said. The way that Nick and Winston, especially Nick, but the way that they approach problems together doesn't make sense most of the time at all. I, I don't know why, but in this moment, too, what comes to mind is when Winston wrote on Nick's stomach how much he owed him after, like, the poker game way back. <laughs> and you're just like, you couldn't have just, like, stuck a note on the door. You had to write in permanent marker on his stomach. But okay, sure. But yeah, Winston is filling in for Schmidt and somehow he knew all the like big points that Schmidt wanted to make. But I guess also on a landline, you would never know that you weren't talking to Schmidt because you only know the voice and this magazine would have no reference for what Schmidt's voice would sound like and how that would be. So Winston is doing a very good Schmidt and Schmidt comes in even and sees him doing that and is at first very concerned, but no, he's like, wow, Winston's killing it. He's so good at this. Is he though? I'm like, is Winston good at this? Because he's like, Schmidt's an acronym. Some can have money. I desire thoughtfulness. What is that? It doesn't <laughs> make sense. That's not a thing. However, when we eventually see the end of the episode, we see that that magazine article comes out and the blurry picture made it work and the interview made it work and Schmidt took no part in it. However... Schmidt's now in a magazine for marketing. Good for him. He's in business, man, magazine. But yeah, <laughs> he didn't do anything. You're right. But it came out well for him, which is great because I know it is something that was so important to him. We also get to meet Judy at the end of the episode because she's there standing with her boom box and just trying to win Winston back, I guess. It was definitely a weird storyline for Winston. I almost wish we didn't get a storyline that concrete. I wish he had gotten the spoiler auto quotes and stuff because this was a weird way to end the episode too. It was a little funny just all of them peering out, but I mean, hey, standing there with that boombox, that was another piece of new technology. <laughs> I love it. I love I mean, on one hand I'm with you. It was like weird way to end it, but on the other hand I'm like Sure. Let's have this like say anything movie reference and hold a boombox from the girl from the golf range. You can tell by her outfit. She came straight from the golf range to tell Winston something. I don't know. Literally, she did <laughs> not say anything. So yeah, she just said like sup to Nick. And then that was like basically it because Nick tried to bond with her that they'd been talking on the phone. But anyway, anyway, I don't think the landline is here to stay. <laughs> I don't think we're going to get that back next episode. And while all that's happening, also from the landline, like we mentioned earlier, Jess finds out that Coach has been sleeping with the nurse and immediately goes into vice principal mode and calls them into their office and then she's making them declare their relationship and fill out forms, which Coach and this nurse, how they got together, this whole relationship, it's so weird. It's a little weird, but then, like, you see her, she's looking very beautiful, right? And, okay, coach is always like, ooh, I'm going to be smooth and try to get with someone. But then I'm like, the school nurse? And then I'm like, wow, she's really dressed that way, which I love that Jess is like, your outfit looks like it's from a Halloween store. Is that the case? And she's like, it's a child's medium. Yeah, you're right. Like, thank you. Coach picked it out. And I'm like, wait, what? Coach? got you this outfit and then you wore it to school like on one hand I was like okay 
coach got you an outfit. Maybe it was for like a sex thing, you know, okay. I don't want to know about it type of thing. But like you wore that to the school with the children and you're excited that you're wearing the children's style clothing at the school with the children. And she thought, I don't know, this nurse too, she thought that the the cut was gross. Like, she's like, I don't do cuts. Like, I'm not going to, like, when describing how they got together, I'm just like, I don't know. The nurse was perplexing on top of it. Yeah, it was, it was a very weird situation. And I mean weird for real life, I guess, because you're right. For the show, it was comical. We expected it. Coach is always kind of like that kind of person. What was still a little weird to me was, like you said, the cut thing. First of all, she's a nurse. She should be on top of these things. This is what kids probably come in with. But then also that means that they had sex at school. And what if, like, a kid had come in? That's just – I was surprised there wasn't a line from Jess regarding that potentially happening at school, right? Exactly. I was waiting for that. That didn't happen. Yeah. Jess, I felt like too in this scene was a little bit uncharacteristic to herself because even the comment of like, oh, we're just covering our asses while you're uncovering yours. I'm like, that is not a Jess comment like that. I mean, maybe it is, but like maybe it's more under her breath and not like in someone's face. Like if that was someone who was not coach, right? Like any other teacher was in there. I do not think she would have said anything like that. So I know that it was like, oh yeah, coach is my loft mate. We're just friends and like we can BS about stuff like this, but then it just didn't feel like Jess. It didn't feel like Jess. It also hearing about them hooking up at school, I was like, that didn't feel like Jess to call, not call out something like, wait, you did this at school? That's a big problem. Yeah, I think Jess really struggled in this episode to be the cool friend of Coach that lived with him and to be the authority figure of the vice principal. And I feel like You know, we haven't really seen that much of that dynamic, not just with Coach, but in general from going to be one of the peers into that vice principal role. And I kind of wish we had dived a little bit deeper into that, like even with the presentation, like maybe having some teachers be like, oh, well, you were like this when you were here or something like that. Like it would have been kind of interesting to see that transition from peer to supervisor. But I think that coupled with she lives with coach she's his friend like we saw an entire episode where her goal and sole mission was to be coach's friend so like if you're disciplining your friend it's like a little uncomfortable and I think that's why we see this uncharacteristic piece of Jess because if this had happened with coach at his work at a different place she would have been like oh my god that's so funny like we would have seen some of those awkward lines about like covering asses uncovering but I think it's It makes sense for the episode where it is because she's struggling with that too. Like, do I be cool about this because you're my friend? But like, I have a responsibility as the administrator. Plus one to everything you're saying. But then you even see that go farther when Rose comes in and you realize that Ernie, as she says, has been hooking up with him too, essentially. But then I also think... In the scene, there was just a lot of amazing quips back and forth. So like the the asses comment was really silly, but then we had the one where, I mean, it's just a silly rhyme, but the nurse is saying, I thought you ditched this bitch. And then Rose's response is, I'll send your weave back to the looms. And I'm like, what a savage thing to say. (laughs) And also it's very clear that she's not really wearing a weave. Like she's just calling her hair fake entirely. I'm like- Okay, 
cool. Like you guys are getting the claws are out. You both want coach. I got it. And Jess even follows up with, oh, that's another form. Like we got to go. And it seemed like it was like a different form. Like there was a form for something like this, which I thought was hilarious. And I also wasn't expecting the nurse and Rose to know that he'd been sleeping with the other person. Like I thought when she walked in and said, oh, hey, Ernie, last night was fun. I thought it was going to be like, wait, you're sleeping with her, but you're sleeping with me. But no, it was like we all knew that he was sleeping with everybody. And Coach even admits that later because he's like, yeah, I'm just the guy that has sex with everyone. That's my role at the school. And it's like, wait, no, we don't need that role at a school. Like, it's fine. And he calls out how the school is a sexy place, which is very problematic. But then he points to the CPR poster, and it's like Jess is looking at it for the first time. She's like, wait, are they drinking wine? Why are their shirts off? A really, really seconded coach's point that, like, something is off at the school, and I guess it's very normal for them. Yeah, that CPR poster was over the top. But then I'm also like, Jess, did you really not notice that before? <laughs> or maybe it wasn't her job to put that up. But I don't know. It got out of hand when then she's trying to explain, like, I practice on myself once a month. And then she's actually talking about the real CPR. Like, I don't know. Coach is just trying to spread his guy who has sex with everyone and make it like a cool thing. Like, this is something that can happen everywhere. And you're like, this is not a thing anybody needs. This is not a thing a school should have. This is not what should be happening. And it doesn't work out if the school is not catching this kind of stuff. But then, of course, we find out about a new teacher and Principal Foster is weird and himself when he's like, oh, well, see if you can understand him. He has an accent and it's literally just a British accent, which no problems there. And <laughs> Ryan, of course is someone who's beautiful and immediately has chemistry with Jess. And of course, his name is ridiculous of goes in you. And of course, Jess is immediately going to do the thing that she's telling other people not to do. And of course, coach is there to witness all of it and to really just egg her on, get it into her that she's no better than them. And like, she's going to be in the same position and she gets so flustered, but ends up doing this demonstration to the teachers about how they should react when things happen. So some forms of touching are appropriate, like a handshake or a spirited pat. And the bio teacher, obviously, we know him. He's always asking the most ridiculous questions. And Jess's answer is just, why would this situation occur? Which is all of our question to this. Why would this ever happen where you had to either touch a teacher's crotch or give narcotics to a student like that's not a real life scenario and if it is we've got some conversations we need to have but fine let's just let that go and she tries to show everyone hey if you feel like it's getting sexual just shut it down and then she does this whole crossed hands motion where she's like shutting things down and she asks everyone to do it with her. And of course, the only person to do it is Ryan because new guy Ryan doesn't know what's going on. It's just like, okay, don't really know why I'm at a sexual harassment-esque seminar at work, but sure, shut it down. And coach, coach is there ready to make things awkward for Jess with the most ridiculous ways asking for visual learning. And then you hear the nurse go in the back yeah, he is about being a visual learner. You're just like, why every moment of this, this nurse is just like 
they're ready to talk about how she's having sex with Coach, honestly. And on a side note, I really loved that every time they flash to the teachers away from Jess, yeah, you're seeing Ryan, you're seeing Coach, you're seeing the nurse, you're seeing Rose, but you're also seeing a teacher who is asleep. Like, she's not even paying attention. And I just love that extra detail, too. And, of course, Coach suggests Ryan because British people love doing stuff. And I'm like, sure, cool, yep. And he goes up there and Jess immediately is taken to his touch because maybe because Coach pointed out to her that she hadn't been with someone in a while type of thing. And so, and she, like, immediately wanted thought he was cute probably so immediately was all in on this and she tries to shut it down and makes the problem even worse she explains why she did it and hits him again in the same place and the whole time from beginning to end of that whole sequence like the first time he gets up there and to the end I am cringing so hard for her I also think it's so funny the name I mean we haven't stressed it enough but the goes in you goes in you come on like they were like we're gonna put that in your face and I love that even when Ryan got up there at the beginning she tries to like get through it and he's like no it's goes in you and you almost see him breaking like he's so close because (laughs) he thinks it's ridiculous too so it's a whole cringy moment it's ridiculous and Jess realizes immediately that it didn't go the way that she intended it to go because how could it how could it No, of course not. And she's just sitting there hugging herself like, I'm going to keep my hands to myself. Otherwise, I may accidentally hit you again. Like, oh, God, I was also cringing for Jess. I just needed her to get out of there. And then we see her at home go and apologize to Coach. And it's sweet because he really says she's a great vice principal. And I think that just means so much to her, especially coming from her friend and coworker. And because she's now repealed the policy, we just see Ruth pop up because she's been there all along, but she was hiding, which is interesting because it's one thing when you're hiding your relationship and you're at work, but this is their home setting. But because of this interaction and this existing relationship between Jess and Coach, things are also a thing at home. Like the nurse was calling Coach at his home. So it's just really funny because she just popped up out of nowhere and Definitely the first time I was watching this, I had forgotten. And so when she popped up, it was actually a surprise to me that she was even there. Like it wasn't obvious. Like in some shows, you watch something and you know someone is in the bed. But in this episode, until she popped up, I had no idea. I don't think I had any idea either or even thought that that was coming. I did think it was a little strange that Jess would try to go to Coach's bedroom, even though she knocked and he said like, what's up, you know, like or they started having the conversation. I'm like, wouldn't it be better to just have that conversation when he's not in his room? Like if you're in your room, like you wouldn't want people busting in. And I don't know, they are very flexible in this, in this loft. That's sure. But like, I wasn't expecting her in the bed, but then when you open the door and you see coach in his bed, I don't know. It just seems like maybe I need to leave him alone. I think that for me, it's less about, entering the room from a loft mate perspective because they do that all the time like she'll be sitting on her bed grading and someone will come in and talk to her and it's not a big deal I think the thing is what we continue to see is that lack of boundary between vice principal and coach I guess and 
friends. Like that conversation she should have actually had at school if she repealed the policy, not at home anyway, because it wasn't something she was telling her friend coach. She was supposed to be telling her teacher or coach coach as a throwback to coach coach. Coach coach. (laughs) But yeah, I think that the larger thing for me here was just there is no boundary for her of when her work stops and when her home life begins. So that was interesting. And I think it was even for her starting to get blurry when Ruth popped up because she calls out as she's leaving. I see her hand moving and I wish you'd wait until I left the room. Right. And it doesn't really seem to me that the nurse is someone who would be concerned about this whole situation at all. Right. Just from everything we've seen of her this episode. But then it's the awkward position of seeing the nurse at her home and seeing that situation that like, oh, good, it's repealed. Like, here I am anyway. So like I'm that's a good point you made because, yeah, just should have had that conversation at the school because it is blurring that line. But then also hope that the nurse was sneaking in and out so that Jess didn't find her, which in a way, oddly, and because Coach is in Schmidt's old room from earlier seasons and the bed almost looks like identical, honestly, it looks like the same thing that now Coach is just in there. And having the nurse hiding in the bed, I was like, this is just straight Schmidt with Cece hiding when they were trying to talk to him or something for an episode and Cece's actually just hiding under there, but doesn't ever reveal herself like in that episode. And so I don't know, it just felt very similar to me. I thought that was very interesting that even in the same room felt similar. Ultimately, the policies repealed. She's excited about that as well, because she wants to go talk to Ryan and have a good conversation with him. And it seems like there's something going on there. And Principal Foster comes in and does his best work, letting him know, I am not interested in you. But by the way, only administrators can hook up. And while I'm not interested in you, you can't be with anybody else because administrators and teachers cannot intermingle. And she's like, well, great. And then in a way that leaves us on a cliffhanger because Ryan's just looking at her like waving like, okay, wait, I want to have a conversation with you. Yeah, it'll be really interesting because they do have chemistry and you can just tell. So. I can imagine him staying around for some time and definitely being a love interest, but I wonder if she's also going to sneak around about it or find a way to repeal policies again so that she can be with him. Yeah, uh, that is the definition of people in power. They use their power for selfish reasons. (laughs) We'll have to see what happens. (laughs) And that gets us to... Our most likely two section, where Kelly and I both come up with a couple of things that happened in the episode and see which one of us would be most likely to do that thing. So, Kelly, my first one for you. Which one of us would be more likely to do the phone thing well? Which, by that I mean Winston doing the interview for Schmidt, but doing it well. And I'm going to consider what Winston did well for the purpose of this question. So, like, be able to jump in for your friend and, like, do the interview. I think it could be both of us. I definitely feel that I could do that. I don't know why I feel so confident. I feel I often in times have been confidently incorrect about things. I feel like if I need to portray confidence, I can. So I may not always be confident, but I can come into a conversation and be like, oh, yeah. Schmidt is the marketing genius. He came up with sponges where they just say sponge, 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 sponge. 
and sell that hard. So maybe I should be in sales. I'm not, but I know that I could do that. But then I know that in ways like this, we're similar. I don't want to say you're confidently incorrect, but I also know that you're confident. So I feel like you could confidently represent someone on their behalf if you had the right preparation, I would say. Which it seemed like in Winston's scenario, he did because he had at least kind of the bullet points and they whispered in his ear what he was supposed to be sharing. So I feel like in that scenario, you probably would do okay too. You know, I had this question ready, but I didn't really have an answer ready for this one. I guess I'm going to agree with you. I feel like you do have the ability to portray confidence well. And I think that I could bluff my way through a lot of this as well. So maybe I'm just going to agree with you both. I don't think I had my original answer, but I think you just convinced me as you were talking through it. So I'm going to say both. Point made. That's right. It's both. But all right, Kritika. Who of us would be most likely to break up with someone on someone's behalf like Nick did for Winston? I'm going to say me because I feel like I've done this. Maybe not so much exactly like this, but I have definitely helped someone break up with someone before. Way back in high school, so not anytime recently, but I feel like I've done this, so I'm going to say me. What about you? I was going to say you. I didn't know about that story, but I felt like you would be someone who would do that, and I am someone who doesn't, I'm like, I don't, it's not my business. I don't, I can give you my thoughts, but I'm not going to go and actually do anything for you. You got to do it yourself. So I definitely thought it was you, but you know, you would do it in a loving way and in a friend way. I don't think I would do it the way Nick did it without Winston's permission though. Like I think I could do it on behalf of someone, but I wouldn't do it without them asking me to do it. Definitely not. Nick's way is Nick's way. So I had a sort of similar one, but Which one of us do you think would be most likely to just get wrapped up in their friends' lives? I think this one could be both again, but I also think it's me because I just, I get obsessive. It's, it's bad. Like I want to know everything. I want to know all the details. And (laughs) then I just collect that all in my brain where I don't think I have any more space to collect it. And I do, and it lives there. And then I know everything and it makes me very happy to do that. And I do that not only for my friends, but for fictional television characters that I care about. So (laughs) I think it's me. (laughs) I think it could be you too. I think in some ways it's both of us, but I think you do a really good job of knowing what's going on in other friends' lives and really asking those questions. So I'm going to say you as well. Fair. But yeah, I think it could be both of us potentially too, but fair. Lastly, for me, Kritika, who do you think would be most likely to get a landline? That is a really good question and a very obvious one from this episode, I feel like. I think from the way we both just talked about it, I would say neither of us to get a landline now. I have thought about it, especially in relation to just like cable deals, like getting a better deal when you link your phone line to it too and just getting a landline that we never use. And I think to actually get it, if one of us did, I feel like it would be me, but I feel like neither of us would be going out looking for a landline. What about you? I legit had the same thought process. I was like, I think it could be you, but I don't think either of us would actually get one of these. And then also for the record, I will say that it wouldn't be like 
completely out of left field for either of us to get one at one point in life because the landline technology has come a very long way. I don't even think you need to connect it to a line anymore in your house. I don't even know. I don't even know how it works, but I know you don't have to have a phone that looks like it came from the 1980s like they did in this episode. (laughs) But it really, unless maybe you have like a family of people who live at one house who potentially need a reason that you need anybody at the house to receive certain calls, that could make sense. But I think these days with like email and like just other forms of communication or texting, you can't get a text through a landline. So I just don't see the usability of it anymore. And that's why I also thought it was neither of us, but thought the question was fun regardless. And that really wraps up our most likely to segment. We're going to take a quick break before we're back with our Schmidtism and the rest of our podcast. And we're back with our Schmidtism. In this section, we are going to recreate one of honestly the best Schmidt and Winston moments that I think I've ever seen. Kritika, as always, will be Schmidt and I will be Winston. Hello? Yeah. Hello? Yeah. Leo? Yeah. Hello, hello. Yeah. Hello, 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 hello. Yo. What up, what up, what up? Winston. Hello? Winston. I said Winston. I said yo. Wait, who's this? It's Schmidt. We got to do something about Nick. I don't know if we did that justice, but that was hilarious to see. It was like 30 seconds of the whole episode of just them going like back and forth. Classic. I loved it. It was definitely one of my favorite parts of this episode. Just immediate laughter that these two characters bring about with the fact that they didn't even know, or rather Winston didn't even know who he was talking to, but just went for it. But as we get to our in the 2020s section, we start off with our not in the 2020s. And just to touch on a couple of quick ones, again, we kind of hear from Principal Foster about his Asian fetish, which was weird to hear again. We've talked about it before. But then also just hearing about Coach and the school nurse and how they act as employees of the middle school, like wearing the children's Halloween nurse costume to school when you're a school nurse and coach's whole thing about how his role at the school was that he was the guy who had sex with everyone just felt like these are not things that should be happening as employees at a middle school. For our yes in the 2020s, we did really like how Nick was communicating his feelings to the loft about feeling left out and how he missed them. And he just wanted to do nice things for them ultimately. So we really liked Nick in how he acted this episode. Yeah, absolutely. And there wasn't any trace of like toxic masculinity in it, of not wanting to express his emotions because he's a man or anything like that, which was really great to see in this episode. For pop culture, there were quite a few references, which you can see what other ones were mentioned on our website in our show notes at smallscreenchatter.com. But We are going to do a bit more of a deep dive on Sam Jackson, or as he's formally known, Samuel L. Jackson. And he was referenced when Jess goes in to apologize to Coach at the end of the episode and isn't saying 
the word penis, as we have seen her do before in this series. But she uses a different word, and then Coach comes back in and says, well, he calls his, his Sam Jackson, because he's in everything, which I guess goes along with Coach's whole point where he's the guy who has sex with everyone in this episode, which it is quite of a slightly awkward reference, but funny one for sure, because Samuel L. Jackson is an American actor and film producer, and he's known for his distinctive deep voice, intense performances, but then he's also known for a prolific acting career that spans several decades. He's recognized for his quotes from his movies and is one of the highest grossing actors of all time, which makes sense because he's appeared in over a hundred films and currently on IMDb, it shows that he's been in 211 as an actor and he's worked in all types of genres with anything from drama to action and he's collaborated with acclaimed directors. So he really is in everything the way that Coach referred to him to be. He's famous for movies like Pulp Fiction, The Hateful Eight, Snakes on a Plane, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Unbreakable, Shaft, Formula 51, Black Snake Moan, and then also known for universes like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where he plays Nick Fury, and the Star Wars trilogy prequel series, where he plays Mace Windu. Samuel L. Jackson has received numerous awards and nominations through his career, which include an Academy Award nomination for his role in the movie Pulp Fiction. And he's also won BAFTA Awards, a Golden Globe Award, and an Honorary Academy Award for Lifetime Achievement. On the personal side, Samuel L. Jackson grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and initially pursued a degree in marine biology at the Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. But he became very involved with civil rights activism and theater, which led him to pursue his career in acting. And one thing he says that helped him with that transition was that he actually used to suffer from a stutter while growing up, and a speech therapist suggested that he auditioned for a play because it might help with this speech, and it did, and that also contributed to his change in major. And speaking of the civil rights activism, he was actually an usher at Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s funeral, which was something that we found was very interesting. Samuel Jackson is an actor who was actually on the older side when he received his first major role in the movie Do the Right Thing. He was 40 years old, and it was when he was 45 that he became a star with Pulp Fiction. And it wasn't until 2000 that he was awarded his star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame in Hollywood, California. Something I personally found very interesting about him being in the Marvel Universe and playing Nick Fury, which the first role was Iron Man in 2008, is that he'd actually already given his consent to Marvel Comics to design their ultimate version of Nick Fury after his likeness, and then he actually played the character in the movies. So he was the face of this character even before the movies came out, which is very interesting to me being a big Marvel fan. Even though I'm not a big Marvel fan, I can appreciate that he was essentially baked into the comics and then the movies for his own self, which, again, just goes to show that what a perfect statement Samuel L. Jackson is in everything. For the guest star segment this episode, we have previously discussed Curtis Armstrong, who plays Principal Foster, and we spoke about him in Season 2, Episode 24, Winston's Birthday. 
Angela Kinsey, who plays Rose, also a teacher, and we talked about her in Season 3, Episode 2, Nerd. And then Brian Posen, who plays the biology teacher, who we spoke about in Season 3, Episode 11, Clavado in Unbar. We are not discussing in this episode Aaron Hayes, who plays Ruth, the nurse, Helen Slayton Hughes, who plays Mrs. Ross, which was the sleeping teacher during the demonstration, Ruth Wilhout, who also played a teacher, and then Anna Conkle, who at the very end showed up as Winston's Judy. We will be speaking of Julian Morris, who played Ryan Gozinho. We know Julian from TV shows like New Girl, Pretty Little Liars, Once Upon a Time, 24, and Privileged. And he's also known for television shows like Man in an Orange Shirt, Hand of God, The Good Fight, and The Morning Show. Additionally, he's also known for the movie Kelly and Victor. Julian is also the co-founder of a company called Olga Vodka, which is a vodka that's handcrafted in California and named after the mother of one of their founders. Their whole mission that they list on the website is to make the best tasting vodka and to celebrate a spirit that is beautiful and free. What is really interesting about it is that every bottle of the vodka supports the work of the Rainbow Railroad in helping LGBTQ people escape persecution around the world. So that mission is very close to home for Julian since he has been with his partner, Landon Ross, for over 18 years, and it had been reported that the two had recently been married in 2021. For other trivia and fun facts from this episode, we have a couple that we wanted to share with you. So the first is we obviously harped a lot about how this group of people should understand landlines and it shouldn't be such a foreign concept to them. And even just getting the idea to have it was listed as crazy or insane. But in episode 10 of season two, Bathtub, they actually already had a landline and acted normally around it. And this is something we saw on IMDb. And while we haven't gone back and checked it out on the episode ourselves, I vaguely do remember something around a landline in that episode. So it just furthers the plot that this is not a crazy thing for them. And then a very small one is that when they're doing the conference call between Nick, Winston, and Schmidt, it's notable that Winston and Schmidt's phones don't behave like they would on a real call. When you pick up those phones, typically the call is in a specific orientation, the display turns off. But if you actually watch, you can see the colors changing on their phones when they're having that call. So it's not likely that they're actually on the phone, but that makes sense because they're filming. The other two quick things that we wanted to call out here is we saw in a recap online that someone compared Jess's arc in this episode to a repeat of her arc in the last episode, which was interesting the way they framed it because they kind of talk about how in both episodes, she's disgusted by her roommate's behavior and then spends most of the episodes emulating that very same behavior, which really stands out when you kind of think about it from that perspective, because obviously she spent a lot of time proving that she wasn't like the rest of the guys in Micro, and here she kind of does the same thing with Coach and really spends her whole episode trying to prove herself, if you will, that she's different. And also, we have talked about Schmidt trying to do a replica of Don Draper's office and just getting to see some of the two-thirds replica of it that we did in this episode was fun. And like we commented on, although Damon Wayans Jr. was kind of out of the picture for this 
part of the storyline, it kind of was nice to see some of their work as a trio that we haven't seen in a while. One last fun fact that we wanted to note on was this is actually the last episode to use a regular intro with the Hey Girl theme song that we're all so used to. For the rest of the season, the instrumental version is used, and then in future seasons, there's a completely different intro that ends up being used. If you want to hear more about the theme song and its progression and some of the exact timings of that, we did on this podcast talk more about it in season three, episode 17, Sister 2, which is the last time they used the long version of the theme song. We also do want to make a note about the bear. We did not find the bear in this episode between Kritika and I, but we did find online that there's possibly a bear poster on the wall above Nick's bed, which I think has been called out before. And I think we've gone back to see that it's not a bear per se, but could be a good option. But there is a poster for Walter Payton, who is number 34, on the Chicago Bears football team. So that, in a way, qualifies. That brings us to our rating and favorite character of this episode. So starting off with the IMDb rating, as we always do, this episode got a 7.9 out of 10. And when this originally aired, the audience viewership was 2.26 million viewers in the U.S. And this is actually the lowest one so far in season four. We've seen it kind of start to decline and maybe pick back up a little bit, but overall be pretty low. So we're hoping that the next couple episodes are higher because to me, I gave this episode an eight out of 10. I really enjoyed this episode. I laughed out loud a lot. Even if I had to suspend my disbelief about the landline, I thought the storylines were great in this episode. I gave this episode an eight and a half out of 10 and I, like you, really liked it. I thought it was really fun. And while, as we kind of called out in trivia and fun facts, and as we kind of see like Jess's storyline is a little bit similar to what it was in the previous episode, I feel like the, the comedy and the balance and the way they brought the groups together just really, really worked in this episode. My favorite character though, I, I really had to go with coach. It was hard for me to decide, but I went with coach because even though his, his storyline was a little cringy at times, he was the agent of chaos, honestly, and also just encourage Jess, but also make her job a little bit more difficult, but then also want what she wants as a friend. So I just really liked what Coach's role was in this episode. My favorite character was Nick. I felt like he was so sweet. He really wanted to bond with his friends, and he was just really trying to be there for them, even if it was in ways that they didn't really love. So he really stood out as my favorite character in this episode. That wraps up everything but the spoilers this episode. And we really appreciate you taking the time to listen to our podcast, recapping season four, episode five. If you enjoyed it or you found it interesting, please give us a rating or leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us today. We appreciate any feedback and we also love to connect with you. So feel free to message us on any of our social media You can reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, also known as X, or TikTok at our handle, Who's That Girl Pod. But now, if you don't want to hear about any future storylines, you have five seconds to pause. And if you do, we'll chat again next time for the next episode. All right. Our spoiler section where we talk about our end game couples. So first up is Jess and Nick, and 
I gave them this episode a zero out of 10 because they did not communicate much at all in this episode. We are one for one right now because I also gave them a zero. There was nothing romantic about them and just actively was interested in someone else. So zero out of 10 for me. When it comes to Cece and Schmidt, I gave them a two out of 10 because the whole scene around the answering machine, while Cece didn't really seem into it, Schmidt literally broke the machine from how many times he heard the message And that definitely shows some interest and the fact that he was aroused by literally her monotone voice saying this. There's something there. I gave them a 1 out of 10 for all the same things you said, though. But between us, I'm fine to go to a 2. That's not. I kind of went back and forth between a 1 and a 2. But I kind of just thought it was strange how – I mean, I liked that Schmidt was like, oh, her voice makes me aroused. But I thought it was strange that it made him aroused, like. I don't know. It felt weird. So that's where, in a way, it took me to the douchebag tracker because I couldn't really find a way that Schmidt felt douchey to me this episode, like distinctly, but I felt like there were just the ways that he was approaching certain situations or like burning out the answering machine because he kept listening to Cece's voice. Like that's kind of a weird thing. I don't know. And so I gave him a five out of 10, which is right in the middle of our scale of 10 being an ultimate douchebag and zero being a genuine guy. I gave him a five. It probably could be a little bit lower, but what did you put, Kritika? I gave him a six, kind of the same thing. It just felt that like there was some sort of douchey element to it, but I couldn't place it and give an exact answer of this is what was douchey. So I'm actually going to agree with you and keep it at a five because I don't really think there was anything here. It was really right in the middle there, but it wasn't overwhelmingly sweet or something that made me feel closer to that zero. For Winston and his bird shirt tracker, we did not see him wear a bird shirt this episode. And so his tracker and his count is still at one from episode two this season. And with that, Kelly and I just want to say thank you again for listening to this episode of Who's That Girl? Whether you've been with us since season one episode one or you're just checking this one out we love to hear your feedback so whether you're listening to this in apple Podcasts, spotify or whatever podcast platform please give us a rating and leave comments for us we love to read it you can also give us your feedback via email at who's that girl pod or on social media we are at who's that girl pod on twitter tiktok and instagram and more than anything we hope you'll be back next time for the next episode Thanks.